Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Welcome to the first episode of the fourth season of the Last Symptom Podcast. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator of The Last Symptom and your host. Today begins an attempt at slightly shorter episodes of this show. And uh, I'm laughing because I just, as I'm saying this, I know that today's show is probably going to be about the same length as all the other shows. But my goal is to keep most episodes at about 30 minutes in length. Unless... I get a lot of feedback from you and tell me that the majority of you prefer the longer episodes. Now, <clears throat> what this is probably going to come down to is the topics of discussion in any given show because there are some things, you know, you just cannot cram into 20 minutes. But we'll do our best. Get in touch with me at Brian Barnett, that's B-R-I-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-T-T at thelastsymptom.com and give me your two cents. I'd like to hear what you got to say. If you think that the the hour-long shows are the best, you let me know that. And if you think that shorter shows are what you miss, because a lot of the shows from the first season were pretty brief, uh, well, then let me know that. It, it really does help me to have a feel for what the majority of you like. Today's topic is why morality and emotional health are unrelated topics. Plus, we'll talk about the four different and distinct types of health. And to close out the show... I'll share a story with you that I shared with my locals group earlier this week during a live chat. If you feel like you've gained any practical or useful insights during today's show, I hope you'll consider running over to thelastsymptom.com. Thelastsymptom.com. Take advantage of my additional resources there. And consider donating or taking advantage of one of my paid resources. I've got two types, you know, the, the free resources and the paid resources, and I'll tell you this right now. The free resources vastly outweigh the paid services. Uh, my paid services involve one-on-one phone calls with me, one-on-one Zoom video calls with me, and perhaps most importantly, the last symptom, fundamentals course, which is a structured two-week intensive course 
that is pre-recorded so it works with your personal schedule. It's for those interested in authentic recovery, permanent recovery from emotional disorders such as borderline personality disorder. Let's get into today's discussion about why emotional health and morality can be completely unrelated. I'll just give those of you who are agnostic or atheist a heads up that I will necessarily have to include some God talk in today's conversation, but I want to tell you that I will keep it to a minimum to the extent that I can, and I will not try to make any of you feel uncomfortable or welcome. You can listen to the show as an observer if you'd like, and uh, there will be plenty of insights uh, available for you, you know, even though you're not... um, you're not somebody who believes in God or in a specific God or if you're even sure that God exists. Uh, it's interesting. I was watching a, some videos last night of Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, I've never liked the guy. But he changed my mind. He changed my mind. Uh, in the videos that I saw last night, he, uh, he, t- he totally went, he, he totally took me from not liking him to thinking he's all right i would love to spend an afternoon with him and just talking and you know i think that he and i could talk and disagree um, with respect to one another um there was one thing that he was talking about in relation to god that um i found very interesting you know he does not identify as an atheist i don't know if he identifies it as an agnostic, I just know that he specifically does not identify as an atheist because he does not agree with atheist approaches to certain things and that sort of thing. Now, he's definitely not a God-believing type of guy. But I, I valued and I admired his non-dogmatic approach to the thing. He seemed like a man who was open and waiting for convincing evidence. And uh, I I value people like that. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, he just totally turned my opinion to him uh, completely on its head last night. And uh, so that's all I'm asking for. Uh, You know, I think it's important for us all to uh, treat each other with respect to treat our beliefs and our opinions uh, with a measure of respect. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, you know, we should be able to shake hands at the end of the day and say, you know, you're all right. I appreciate you listening to me, and and I should be able to say the same thing. You know, you're all right, too, and I appreciate you listening to me. You know, this is in the context of me being an authority on borderline personality disorder. So there are things that I have to discuss that involved my authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder. I don't have it no more. There's a lot of people out there who can't say that. So there's uh, there's some merit to what I have to say. You know, there's some value there. At the same time, I try to leave out anything that's just opinion or that I, I don't need to talk about or that might turn people away. So I'm not trying to do any of that. I just I appreciate all you out there who 
kind of cringe anytime God talk comes up and who will endure today's conversation. In past episodes of this show, I've made the comment several times, almost in passing, that morality has nothing to do with emotional health. Now, that's not entirely true. But in the strictest of senses, it is true. And we're going to talk about that today. When I've said that morality and emotional emotional health are unrelated, many have disagreed with me about that, while others have said that they can't wrap their mind around how it can be true. An example I've used in the past is how having a love affair or cheating on a partner is not necessarily evidence of emotional unhealth and this seems to get people riled up from time to time especially religious folks you know they they're so opposed to that notion that uh, of cheating um, and I can tell you that I was the same way um, for most of my life I I viewed that as just I, I mean I, I can't even tell you how how it would affect me inside I, I would feel repulsed by it when I would see examples of it in the movies or whatever I'd turn that off or I would walk out of the movie theater in fact there's a a movie Burn After Reading it's got uh, Brad Pitt in it it's got George Clooney in it and uh, I was so (laughs) repulsed by everything in that movie when I first saw it now let me put it into context I had borderline personality disorder at the time I saw the movie with my ex-wife Diana and I insisted we walk out of that movie now here's the thing about that I was such a hypocrite because I had fantasized about the same things that I was seeing in that movie I had fantasized about those exact same things those same sorts of things would turn me on but I denied that they did and my own sense of morality said those things are repugnant and I don't want to sit here and support it let's leave the theater now I'm not saying that today that I find those things in that movie as being perfectly okay uh, but I just have a much more relaxed view of it you know it's um, if I'm not doing it <laughs> if, if I'm not the person doing it then then it's a different story and also what I feel uh, cannot be classified as good or bad right or wrong we're going to talk about that a little bit more but I just want to throw that in there that there was a time when I was very judgmental about those sorts of things and uh, very black and white about them I had a very strong opinion about them and that opinion has relaxed um, it, you know not not relaxed I just I put things into context nowadays put things into context I allow for you know the reality of the human condition and and things like that you got to understand that uh, it's not my intention to tell anybody to go off and have a secret love affair also 
I'm not saying that it's morally right to have a secret love affair. But then again, I'm not telling you that it's morally wrong either. I'm leaving matters of morality up to you. And the reason I can do that in a body of work that is meant to help you authentically escape emotional, emotional health, or emotional unhealth, I should say, is only because matters of morality and emotional health are unrelated. Think about that. Think about it. If, if I couldn't make a distinction there, what would I tell you? I'd be spouting off every sort of opinion I could. I'd be trying to get you to look at life the same way I do. But that's not my objective here. My objective is not for you to think as I do, to live as I do. My objective is to allow you, truly, to make distinctions between emotional health and other aspects of life. And my only interest in this work with the last symptom is for you to be able to live emotionally healthy in a real way. So the reason that I can in the context of the last symptom leave out matters of morality or even talk about them flippantly as I did in the sex episode which I think was in the second episode or the second season of the last symptom the reason I can do that is because I understand I see a distinction between matters of morality and emotional health otherwise I would have to talk about morality frequently and often wouldn't I we would have to get into discussions frequently about what is good and bad right and wrong that is the that is a discussion of morality right when we're talking about morality we're not talking about what is healthy and unhealthy we're talking about what is right and wrong but did I create the last symptom to help people understand what is good and bad right and wrong you know I didn't you know that I created the last symptom to help people understand what is emotionally healthy and emotionally unhealthy and the reasons why do you see that whether a thing is good or bad right or wrong can be completely unrelated to whether it is healthy or unhealthy do you see that whether a thing is good or bad right or wrong is totally separate from a discussion about whether a thing is healthy or unhealthy this topic is one that I personally had to sort out for myself while I was going through my own authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder 
You see, I've always been a God-fearing person, both before my authentic recovery, while I was still living with borderline personality disorder, completely unaware that I had it, and then still even after authentic recovery, now completely rid of borderline personality disorder and free of any emotional disorder at all. I'm still a God-fearing person. That's one thing that's not changed. Now, my under, some of the subtle understandings that I have of God and of life have changed. Also, the understandings of God that I had when I was living with borderline personality disorder, I now look back on and say, those were distorted. Those weren't accurate. Those were based on a, uh, an unhealthy perspective of God of myself of life so this is a topic that literally I had to sort out for myself in order to finally get to the other side of recovery believe me I I think often and hard about matters related to morality and never never would I purposely say or do anything to contribute to people being more alienated from a relationship with God or to uh, more alienate people from a good relationship with God nor would I tell people anything that I think would make God look at me with disfavor or disappointment you know never would I want to be a voice out here contradicting God's own viewpoints and feelings on things so I hope you believe me when I say that when I talk about morality and emotional health being two totally unrelated things I feel the weight of that responsibility on me for so boldly making a statement like that if I weren't certain it were true I wouldn't say it the nice thing is that when people are emotionally healthy what this means is that they're in a much better position to have a healthy relationship with God than if they are emotionally unhealthy so I'm able to view my work with pride and with confidence and a clean conscience if you know as long as I don't get sidetracked by trying to insert my opinions and personal beliefs into my work I can still rest easy that I'm still, still involved in something that puts people into a better position of possibly being friends with God later if this is something that they decide to choose for themselves. Yeah, I often talk about how uh, emotional disorder, it's an obstruction to a good relationship with God can't happen if you have an, an inappropriate underlying understanding about the nature of self feelings life um, this is a grand obstruction to your being able to ex, uh, accept and experience God's love you know the ransom sacrifice of Jesus Christ and stuff like that I don't want to I don't want to throw too many religious terms in here I don't want to sound like a, a Sunday school teacher or a preacher but 
to those of you who um, are God-fearing and would like to have a relationship with God, you know, you know what I'm talking about. A quote from the book Foundation by Isaac Asimov, the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov comes to mind. It goes like this. Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right. Now, many of uh, my atheist listeners might think that I just threw them a bone, but that wasn't my intention. I'm an an Isaac Asimov fan, and uh, when I come across that quote when I was reading the Foundation Trilogy, I jotted it down because it's perfect. Isaac Asimov was a an atheist. Again, that quote from uh, the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov goes like this. Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right. Do you understand that quote? The gist of it is this. Just because we perceive things one way and we're certain about them and just because of these perceptions make a you know just because these perceptions make us arrive at conclusions about what is morally right or wrong that doesn't necessarily mean we're working with accurate perceptions or conceptions for the conclusions we have arrived at and are so fervent or adamant about never let your your sense of morals prevent you from doing what is right beautiful quote so when we're emotionally unhealthy we may have lots of notions about morals that may evolve and grow more strongly in line with real life as we get healthier and begin to look at life in ways that are not so black and white you know that takes context into consideration that demonstrates more patience and compassion that is not so judgmental as we've been used to and so on and so forth now I ain't here to talk about the Bible and God as I've already said the purpose of the last symptom is to talk about matters involving emotional health emotional health but for today's discussion we're going to have to dip into these topics slightly in order to satisfy those who are genuinely trying to come to a reasonable and accurate understanding about these things I hope that those of you who are agnostic or atheist will respect that these folks have genuine considerations they're trying to um, come to terms with that they're trying to find some kind of um, answer to before they can move on in their recovery these are important questions and so some of these insights may be useful to everybody Uh, some of them may some of uh, you listeners may reject some of them um, but that's okay you know I'm not uh, like I say I, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable I don't want to push 
certain belief systems on people who, um, who, who don't want to hear that sort of thing. And that's not my intention. Uh, I'm talking to a diverse crowd, and I want to uh, address the needs of each group's uh, particular needs. In order to really grasp the things we're talking about here today, it's important to know that there are four different distinct types of health. You catch that? There are four different distinct types of health. Do you know what they are? Do you know what the four different distinct types of health are? They're this. Physical health. Mental health. Emotional health. And what's the fourth? The fourth is spiritual health. There you go. The four types of health. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Clearly, the ideal life is one where a person is healthy in all four of these areas mental physical emotional and spiritual but I have to content myself with maintaining focus on the purpose I have set for myself in my dealings with people and that is with the emotional aspect of health you see I'm not an authority on mental health I'm not an authority on physical health by any means. I'm on this diet right now, and goodness gracious, it's uh, an exercise in futility. And if I uh, set myself up as some sort of spiritual authority, guess what would happen then? I would turn people off by talking about spiritual health unnecessarily. You know, when it when it's unrelated to emotional health, and I talk about it anyway, the only thing that can happen there is that I will turn people off who have an opportunity to gain insight and get emotionally healthy. Why would I do that? So, if if I were to unnecessarily have all these discussions about spiritual health, then normal people out there who are suffering from these emotional disorders would not benefit because they would be turned off they would tune me out they wouldn't listen so I avoid discussions like that I often have said that people don't have to believe in God in order to be emotionally healthy and I reassert that truth now At the same time, to have the most balanced, fully healthy life, from my uh, professional perspective, to have the most balanced, fully healthy life, the ideal situation would clearly be for people to be strong and healthy in all four areas of health. 
Now, people today have invented lots of meanings for the word spiritual or spirituality. You know, technically, a devil worshiper can be described as a spiritual person. After all, the devil and the demons are spirits, and they exist in the spirit realm. But the reality is that spiritual, in a healthy sense, specifically refers to a person who enjoys a good relationship with his or her creator. That's what healthy spirituality is in the true sense of the term. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever met anybody who was mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, but physically unhealthy? Let me ask it again. Have you ever met anybody who was mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, but physically unhealthy? Of course you have. Um, these people are all around us. Let's reword this exact example. We can say that people we meet all the time are physically unhealthy, but at the same time, they are mentally healthy and they are emotionally healthy. You see, their poor physical health does not in any way have any connection to or affect their capacity for being mentally healthy and emotionally healthy. A person may have cancer, but that person may be just fine mentally and emotionally. I personally know a Mexican doctor who has only one eye. He lost his eye when he was a boy in Mexico. A Coca-Cola pop bottle exploded and the and the pop cap struck him right in the eye and he lost that eye. <laughs> I worked with him in Springfield, Massachusetts. And uh, the interesting thing about that was that um, I got to be good friends with him. His name's Miguel. And uh, so I started asking around my, my co-workers. I said, how did Miguel lose his eye? And they said, no, 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 don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Uh, you don't know how he asked, he lost his eye? I couldn't believe it. Nobody had ever asked him about this. I mean, it's the most obvious elephant in the room. And I'd go to one person. I'd say, hey, how did uh, Miguel lose his eye? Oh, no, no, I don't know. I don't know. You never asked him? How long have you been working with him? Well, 415 years. But you never asked him about how he lost his eye? No, no, we don't talk about that. What's wrong with you guys? So, you know, I'd been there like two months. I said, well, I'm going to ask him. So one day we're sitting there talking, and I said, Miguel, why are you wearing this eye patch? How did you lose your eye? You know, I've asked 100 people. None of them know the answer to this. Like, nobody wants to ask you this question. I don't understand it. He said, oh, it was a pop bottle in Mexico. The, the Too much pressure built up in the Coca-Cola bottle. 
lid popped off, hit me in the eye, and I lost my eye. That was just uh, unbelievable to me. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> these people had been working with him for like 10 years <laughs> and wondering that could not just bring themselves to just, just come out and ask him. And I said, well, I'm not going to have any of that. I'm just going to come out and ask him, <laughs> what's the sense in that? So um, I asked him. He had no problem answering the question. He said, yeah, that was a pop bottle in Mexico. Now, here's the thing about Miguel. He had great mental health. And as far as I can tell, he had great emotional health. But he doesn't have great physical health, does he? Because he's got this glaring physical impairment now why do you reckon that it's so easy to grasp an example like this where a person can have this obvious and pronounced physical impairment but to understand at the same time that it's totally unrelated to any matters of emotional health but at the same time so many people struggle to understand how morality and emotional health can be unrelated in the same way well this can be traced back to the very origins of borderline personality disorder and other emotional disorders like it where people are taught by their emotional teachers that is their parents subtly inaccurate perspectives about the very nature of fundamental aspects of life remember we've long established from the beginning of this podcast back in the first season that folks with emotional disorders believe their feelings can be judged as good or bad right or wrong that's what they're walking around with they believe that what they feel can be classified as good or bad right or wrong in other words they begin to view the things they feel as being able to be judged as morally good or bad right or wrong do you understand that when we talk about matters of good and bad right or wrong that's what we're talking about we're talking about morals what is morally right what is morally wrong as we've also long since established from the beginnings of this podcast and onward feelings what we feel does not fall into this category at all our feelings can't possibly fall into this sort of category because they're not anything we do rather they're something we experience if I get sprayed with water how can I possibly be reasonably judged as having done anything good or bad right or wrong by being sprayed with water I didn't spray myself I was just minding my own business and I got sprayed so in what universe does it make sense to you that I should be judged not for anything I have done or not done but for something that has happened to me for something that I have experienced you see this is feelings they aren't something we're doing they aren't anything we have any choice in we experience them so already from childhood 
people with emotional disorders have been indoctrinated to deeply perceive the very nature of various aspects of life incorrectly. These sorts of families are just rife, you know, ate up with unhealthy and inappropriate judgments. Everybody in these families are doing it. I, you know, I think of my family. It's not just my parents. It's my uncles and aunts. It's my cousins. These things are passed on that way, just like culture, you see. It goes through generations, not by genetics. Remember, your experiences change your the, the way your DNA appears. So this is not something that's being passed along in your bloodstream, as many would have you believe. It's simply reflected in your DNA. Your DNA isn't causing it. It's simply reflected in your DNA. Just like myself, you can do what is necessary to free yourself from these underlying unhealthy perspectives. Your DNA will say something different. Your offspring, their DNA will say something different. But you see that everybody in these families are doing it. It's all they know. They know nothing else. And the judgmental aspect of this comes in where these families, uh, each individual within these families, these broad, larger families, are not contenting themselves upon focusing on themselves and trying to live their own lives in a good way. But rather, they're looking out at everybody else and they're acting as judges in their hearts. You see, they're unable to observe a thing non-judgmentally. Do you know what a healthy skill that is? Do you know what a healthy skill that is? I take my daughter to Burger King and I watch the other kids and I observe how unhealthy many of them are and un how unhealthy many of their families are, but I'm observing non-judgmentally. I'm not harboring hate for these families in my heart or anything like that. I'm just making observations just about what the reality of, of their situations are. The, the reality of what the world is. And I'm making no judgments. Except for the fact that this is just reality. This is the reality. There's a lot of unhealthy people out there. This is what they're doing wrong. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to uh, ensure that I never behave like that. That I never handle things that way. It's not a judgment on them. It's an observation to benefit myself. I feel sorry for many people that I'm observing. I don't pass judgment on them. But that's not what we're talking about here. With these sorts of families that many of us, you and I, have um, come from. No, it's the opposite, right? And in fact, I think that if you remember back to your childhood, you'll remember just how judgmental your parents were, your cousins, your uncles. It was a whole poisonous cloud of this judgmental type of looking out at the world. So they observe and they pass judgment in their hearts and they're unusually critical 
of everything that they observe. Their children observe this and learn from it. But that's not all. Their children not only are observing this, but they're being dealt with in these same types of critical, judgmental, controlling ways that are reflective of the underlying unhealthy attitudes that these parents live with. And then, of course, these children grow up to perceive life the same way, and they behave the same way, and they pass this on to their children who are observing them. You see, genetics has nothing to do with it. The genetics might reflect their experiences. It doesn't determine their experiences. If you'd like to get into a much deeper conversation about this, please consider enrolling in the Last Symptom Fundamentals course. I hate to sound like a salesman, but, you know, this course really does have the potential to change your life. And it's that two-week intensive program I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is available at thelastsymptom.com. If you regularly, regularly, abuse alcohol which one of the four types of health is directly affected by this well why might a guy or a gal abuse alcohol notice I'm not just saying drinking alcohol I'm not just saying getting tipsy or anything like that I'm talking about abuse abusing abusing alcohol why might a guy or a gal completely abuse alcohol Well, you might say that it's because of underlying emotional issues, and you're not entirely wrong. That is one of the possibilities, but that's not all of the possibilities. So broaden your mind a little bit. Just because we see a person regularly and consistently abusing alcohol, we can't definitely conclude that's because of underlying emotional issues, can we? That's that's an obvious explanation for it. But what might be some other explanations for it? Might a person abuse alcohol and at the same time be emotionally healthy? Of course. That is entirely possible. A person might abuse alcohol for the same reason that a person abuses potato chips. That is to say, they simply love potato chips. But in both cases, what type of the four different types of health will this have a direct effect on? Well, not the mental, maybe the emotional, if there are underlying issues, you know person is drinking too much because of uh, underlying emotional issues person's eating too many potato chips because of underlying emotional issues but this is not a given this is not a for sure thing a person could just really love alcohol the same reason that they love potato chips or they love pizza or they love McDonald's hamburgers or they love skiing you know it could fall into the same category as that, in which case the emotional, underlying emotional unhealth has nothing to do with it. Always cracks me up, by the way, when you hear people talking about how bad a 
uh, abusing alcohol is. At the same time, they're standing there with a belly that's sticking out like 14 feet in front of them because they eat too much. Well, you know, gluttony is also a sin. So (laughs) they seem to kind of skim over that part, don't they? While they're being critical of people who drink too much. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying that, you know, it helps to be... uh, open-minded and to put things into context uh, if, if you're a God-fearing person the Bible does not put um, drunkenness it, it doesn't make that a, a more severe sin than gluttony and so you've got a lot of nerve if you're standing there with a belly you know hang, drooping over your belt <clears throat> while you're talking about people drinking too much because obviously you were eating too much (laughs) fairness you know it's reasonableness is what we're looking for here we're not we're not looking for dogmatism so anyway in both cases whether a person is uh, abusing alcohol for reasons that are rooted in emotional unhealth or a person is abusing alcohol for reasons that are not rooted in emotional unhealth what type of the four different types of health would this have a direct effect on well not the mental it might have an effect on the emotional if there are underlying issues but primarily we're looking at an effect on the physical right abusing alcohol in that way is going to have a physical effect on that person's health Also, I have to include that if you're somebody like myself who views the Bible as an authority, then regular, regular, everybody knows I can't say that word, and ongoing drunkenness could affect one's spiritual health, right? Because it could become a barrier to a good relationship with God. He condemns drunkenness. So uh, it could have an effect on one's spiritual health. My primary point here is that, again, we have an example of one of the four types of health being directly affected while others can be completely unrelated and completely unaffected. Can you think of any examples of mental impairments or mental unhealth while the other three types of health are unaffected? I can think of one. How about Down syndrome? It's an example of mental deficiency, right? That is, the brain is not operating at its full capacity, so it's not functioning as intended or as it would in a physically healthy adult human being. But in some cases of individuals with Down syndrome, you'll never see anybody enjoying more underlying contentment with life around so emotionally they're doing just fine aren't they they might even be spiritually doing just fine they might even physically be doing just fine although uh, no not physically because you know a mental impairment is physical in nature so that by definition a mental impairment is a physical issue also 
But can you imagine a scenario where a person might be perfectly healthy? Now, you want to pay attention to this. I want you to try to imagine a scenario where a person might be perfectly healthy mentally. And they may be extremely healthy physically, but at the same time, they are extremely unhealthy emotionally. Can you think of a scenario like that? Perfectly healthy mentally, extremely healthy physically, but at the same time, suffering emotionally. How about the majority of people living with borderline personality disorder? Yeah, there you go. That, that's a perfect description of that reality. A person with borderline personality disorder who only has borderline personality disorder might be extremely mentally fit, might be extremely physically fit, but they're definitely not emotionally fit, are they? I can't tell you how many elite athletes, renowned artists and creators and scientists even, that I have spoken to who are living with borderline personality disorder. Clearly, they are dealing with a powerful emotional disorder while at the same time enjoying exceptional mental and physical health beyond what I will probably ever experience. So isn't it interesting that our minds have no trouble recognizing the boundaries separating many of these things and distinguishing them one from the other? And yet, when it comes to morality and emotional health, we balk. We say, no, what, wait, what? How can those two things coexist? So now let's take a minute to consider what emotional health is. What is it? That's an important thing to know, you know, in specific and refined terms, don't you think? Especially if we want to understand how people can exert their free will and do things that we don't like or do things that God or society says is wrong and yet still comprehend how they can enjoy perfectly good emotional health at the same time. How is that possible? We have to know what emotional health is, what it ain't. Emotional health is this. First, it's living with an accurate understanding about the true nature of feelings, self, and life. Secondly, emotional health is approaching life in ways that are harmonious with, with that accurate understanding of feelings, self, and life. So, for example, passive-aggressive communication behavior styles are unhealthy. They, they don't work in harmony with the reality that other people can't read minds. Right? The whole basis of passive-aggressive communication behavior styles is that people should know what I'm feeling. They should be able to know what I'm thinking. They should do the things I, I feel and want without me having to come right out and say what I feel and what I want. So, passive-aggressive communication behavior styles are unhealthy because they don't work in harmony with 
with the reality we're all living in that other people they can't read minds so they shouldn't be expected to do so also the reality that we're all living in is that adults adult free agents are responsible for being in charge of they themselves being in charge of getting their own needs met proactively that means putting yourself in charge of expressing to others what it is you're feeling what it is you're hoping what it is you're wanting what it is you're expecting you know that is the only healthy way to exist so the other person can still choose to say no okay well that's what you were hoping for well I'm not going to do that (laughs) but it's not their responsibility to figure out what you're feeling thinking or hoping for it's your responsibility to communicate exactly what you're thinking feeling expecting it's your responsibility to communicate what your expectations are help them understand the things going on inside of you before we can even say that it's even slightly reasonable um, to expect them to understand what, what those things are now emotional health and emotional unhealth are not the same as emotional disorder alright we need to make a distinction there emotional unhealth and emotional disorder are two different things emotional disorder is specifically rooted in the unconscious belief that our feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful devoid of inherent worth and so are we what happens when a person is living with that underlying belief well it gives birth to a very predictable pattern of attitudes behaviors and approaches to life that are recognizable to people on the outside so I can observe a person and I can say alright that person has an emotional disorder because they're working on a an emotional algorithm the distorted core beliefs they're working with that emotional algorithm I can almost predict what they're going to say and do in any situation before that situation even happens um, and it's not rocket science it's just I was there so I know what to expect and you would know what to expect too if you understand how those that emotional algorithm or those underlying distorted core beliefs affect people not individuals just people because we're all people right it's true we're all individuals but below that we're, we're people and people will react in in a predictable way to the same underlying beliefs so emotional disorder is specifically rooted in those distorted core beliefs that our feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful they are devoid of inherent worth and so are we you can watching a person knowing that they're living with those unrecognized beliefs you can just you can predict their behaviors like magic they don't even know how you're doing it 
they can't even predict it themselves and yet you you can predict how they're going to react in that situation just knowing the uh, emotional algorithm that they're operating on so it gives birth to a predictable pattern of attitudes behaviors and approaches to life that is emotional disorder you know you can see the definite pattern in their lives from that definite pattern in their lives you can deduce the attitudes that they are living with that must be at the root of these patterns and then you can accurately diagnose the underlying problem that the person is dealing with namely that they're living with the understanding that feelings are inherently irrelevant shameful devoid of inherent worth and that they perceive themselves this way too whether they're aware of it or not but whether we're talking about emotional health or emotional disorder one unifying reality even though these are two distinct things one unifying reality is that children adopt both from observing their parents attitudes and the way they themselves interact with life right if you have adopted the passive-aggressive communication behavior style in your life even though you may not be living with an emotional disorder specifically it is surely because of growing up observing at least one of your parents demonstrating this passive-aggressive technique over and over again you observed learned from the example and and imitated it you adopted it by the way the healthy opposite of passive aggressive communication behavior styles is the calm assertive communication behavior style i've done shows on that i've written articles on it go go look those up so now with all this in mind let's talk about the demons the demons this is an important example to really drive everything we've said home tonight and again I'm going to ask my atheist and agnostic friends to forgive me for bringing in biblical talk into this conversation and uh, I'll just ask you folks to stick around while I address those who need to hear this what are demons what are demons well using the Bible as the ultimate authority demons are angels who left their places in heaven and their heavenly assignments to go off and live however they wanted to live so let's think about this for a minute at one time these spirit creatures were perfect angels they lived in the heavenly spirit realm with God himself in Genesis chapter 6 the Bible talks about how some of the angels began to notice the women on earth and how beautiful they were so they left their positions in the spirit world that is heaven and they materialized physical human bodies for themselves and chose to live their lives the way they wanted 
instead of living according to God's standards. In doing so, they exerted their free will, or something we talk about a lot around here, they exerted their individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Did God prevent them from making the decisions they made? No, he didn't. That's what free will is. It means that nobody will prevent you from making any decision whatsoever that you want to make. You know, this doesn't mean that there will never be any consequences. It simply means that you get to choose for yourself, always. I could rob a bank tomorrow. I could I could go to a local bank and... Um, do my best to rob it that's totally up to me you say well no the law says you can't do that yeah but nobody nobody can stop me from trying (laughs) you see that's up to me so God had some norms in place and uh, all he wanted was, was for the angels to appreciate everything he had done for them and to choose willingly to observe those norms but he wasn't going to stop them from making decisions for themselves that's what free will is and so in choosing to exert their free will in a way that was contrary to what they knew that God approved of these angels chose to leave behind their good relationship with God and their homes in heaven for forever Now, here are some important questions to ask that may shed some light on the topic we're discussing today. Were these angels raised by an unhealthy parent? They most definitely were not raised by an unhealthy parent. In fact, they had the healthiest parent that any one of us could possibly hope to be raised by God himself and not in an indirect way but in a direct way so is it possible that these angels made their decisions based on some sort of emotional disorder or some or some sort of a uh, emotional unhealth no this is not even remotely possible in any way whatsoever they were perfect they were perfectly parented they lived in perfect surroundings all of the other angels that they associated with their you know their brothers had been raised that is to say, had always existed in the same perfect environment. This is not a case of the angels making decisions that many of us now have trouble comprehending because they were emotionally unhealthy. There was literally no circumstance that existed for them that even makes this a slight possibility 
So are you beginning to see how the angels choosing to sin and leave heaven even while understanding the implications and the finality of their decisions? This could not have possibly been rooted in their emotional health. Emotional health had nothing to do with it. They made these decisions while being perfectly healthy. In fact, they made these decisions while being perfect in every way. They were physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually perfect. And that is fascinating and telling for those of us who are God-fearing people trying to recover from emotional disorders while at the same time trying to understand the differences between the four different distinct types of health. Do you remember that in past shows I've stated that two perfectly healthy people can choose to cheat on their partners and have an affair? This is not an indication of emotional unhealth. It can just be an expression of free will. Well, if you have had a hard time understanding how this can be true, just remember what allowed the angels to do basically the same thing. Free will. That's all there is to it. Wanting a thing is not good or bad, right or wrong. Why not? Because wanting is a feeling and feelings aren't something we do because they're something we experience rather than something we do and because of this they also cannot be reasonably classified as something good or bad right or wrong but what can be classified as good or bad right or wrong it's the thoughts we continue to entertain and our actions not what we feel but the thoughts we continue to entertain and our actions so that is to say the actions we choose based on what we allow ourselves to continue thinking about based on what we initially felt so it's not the feelings that were ever the problem it's the fact that we allowed ourselves to continue thinking a thing and then we acted in a way on it that was not appropriate. Back to the four different distinct types of health. Of the four different distinct types of health, which type of health did the angels' decisions immediately and directly affect? Well, they're not physical creatures, are they? So it didn't affect their physical health. After all, at that period of time, they could apparently just dematerialize and return to the spirit world. They were spiritual creatures even though they had materialized physical bodies for themselves. By the way, according to the Bible, around the time of the flood, God deprived these spirit creatures of their ability to materialize human bodies, which is surely why we don't have hybrid angel human people walking about today. You see, 
I find this stuff fascinating, which is a reason why I love studying the Bible. It's incredible to me that so many people today are obsessed with superheroes, science fiction, and fantasy, but avoid the Bible as like some kind of plague, like it's something boring and outdated. The difference between your superhero movies and the Bible is that the Bible contains accounts that are every bit as fascinating as your fictional stories, but that an overwhelming amount of evidence points to as being real. You'd think that that would be a nerd's dream, but it doesn't seem to be. Anyway, the angels, who were now demons, were not affected by their decisions physically, right? They, even though they had materialized physical bodies, uh, their very nature was not physical. They were still spirits. The decisions weren't based on any pre-existing emotional disorder or emotional unhealth. They didn't make their decision based on any mental deficit. Shucks. The angels and demons were possibly already thousands of years old or even millions of years old before the earth was created and God created man. We know this because the Bible tells us that God created them before the earth. And combined with science, we know that the earth took millions of years to settle and become habitable. Think of the experience and the knowledge that these spirit creatures are all working with. So no, there were no mental deficiencies going on there contributing to anything. The short answer is that the decisions these fallen angels made directly affected their spiritual health. When we're talking about matters of moral considerations you know what's good bad right wrong it's not your emotional health that you have to be primarily concerned about it's your spiritual health remember good spiritual health in the true sense of the term involves your relationship with your creator anything you do to obstruct set back damage or interfere with a healthy harmonious good relationship with your creator involves spiritual health so back to my argument that to perfectly emotionally healthy adult free agents can choose to have an affair and that this is in no way an indication in itself of emotional unhealth can you are you beginning to see why because the conditions for what determines emotional health or emotional unhealth are not being affected at all emotional health is not rooted in what is good or bad right or wrong let me say that again. Emotional health is not rooted in what is good or bad, right or wrong. 
good or bad, right or wrong, is rooted in the fourth type of health, spiritual health, not emotional health, not physical health, not mental health, spiritual health. Spiritual health is the type of health that is rooted in matters of good and bad, right and wrong. And who is the ultimate definer of what is good and bad, right and wrong? It's, it's God himself. Is emotional health rooted in matters of good and bad, right and wrong? Well, we've already answered it. It's not. Emotional health is rooted in matters of what is emotionally healthy and what is not emotionally healthy, relating to your emotions, your feelings, and we defined what, what that is. It's living in harmony with the fundamental, aspe- fundamental aspects of life, a, an accurate understanding of feelings, self, and life. So, can these two things be completely distinct and unrelated? That is, emotional health and morality. Yes, and they often are. There are many, many, many people who are atheists, agnostics, who are completely fine as far as emotional health goes. They're perfectly fine as far as mental and physical health goes. The only thing they are arguably deficient in is their spiritual health, which is a conversation that is completely unrelated to matters of mental health and emotional health specifically, and which is the reason I avoid these sorts of discussions entirely. It's up to all of you as individuals to either care or not care about your spiritual health. Obviously, I think that in order to find the the, the sweet spot, the perfect balance in this imperfect life we're all living, you want to be healthy, as healthy as you can be in all four areas. Um, but that's not the focus of the last symptom. The last symptom is not focused on making people perfectly healthy in all four areas. The last symptom is focused specifically on helping people get healthy in the emotional health aspect of things, and that's uh, uh, quite a job in itself. So <laughs> I got my work cut out for me right there, ladies and gentlemen. And um, I just I appreciate y'all listening to me, especially you agnostics and you atheists. You know, if you've uh, held out to the end of this conversation, I appreciate it. I know that um, if I were in your position. I would probably be wriggling in my seat like, uh, well, just very uncomfortably. I I want to tune out, and I, I just really wouldn't want to hear that conversation. So the fact that uh, any of you stuck around and, and listened and gave me that benefit of the doubt, I appreciate that. And um, I just I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So I promised everybody a story. Um, there was a preacher down in West Virginia He'd often ride around on his bicycle. And uh, you'd see him all over town in West Virginia, riding around this small town. He'd come up to people and make them feel guilty about not being at church on Sunday. And it was just, you'd see him all, all over the place. It seemed like every time you went to the hardware store, every time you went anywhere, Piggly Wiggly, you know, this, you'd see this 
preacher riding around on his bicycle and um, so one day uh, my dad went to church and he was talking to the preacher afterward and he said uh, hey preacher I I did not see you uh, with your bicycle today and the preacher said well you wouldn't believe it he said I, somebody stole my bicycle my dad said you're kidding get out of here preacher said no I'm serious <clears throat> can't find it anywhere somebody stole my bicycle can you believe that the the nerve of some of the people in this community my dad said well I got just the solution for that preacher said oh yeah wait what what do you recommend my dad said well I'll tell you what you do come Sunday what you got to do is you got to give a, a sermon on the Ten Commandments he says uh, when you get to the seventh commandment thou shalt not steal he says what you really need to do is you, you got to look right out at the congregants and you, you got to raise your voice and say very sternly seventh commandment thou shall not steal and he says when you do that you look out at the congregation and uh, you just look around for anybody who's uh, you know ashamed and trying to hide their face and then you'll know who stole your bicycle so the week went on and Sunday come around we were all in church sitting there when the preacher started his sermon he said today I want to talk about the Ten Commandments so he started with the first commandment then the second then the third and so on but when he got to uh, the sixth commandment he got faster and faster and his voice got fainter and he just kind of rushed right through the other commandments without following my dad's advice so after the service uh, out by the door my dad grabbed the preacher's elbow as the preacher was leaving and he said hey preacher what happened there you were supposed to raise your voice and really you know really put some emphasis behind the seventh commandment thou shalt not steal and the preacher said well I was going to do that but then I remembered the sixth commandment thou shalt not commit adultery and suddenly I remembered where I left my bicycle <laughs>